Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. And this guy I've got here is to blame, well, I should credit <laughs> for the name of the podcast, which is the Intentional Encourager podcast. He has a podcast called Everyday People by the HR Dad. Now, I wanted to name this podcast the Everyday Encourager, but since he beat me to it, you guys are stuck with the Intentional Encourager podcast. It is an honor for me to welcome in Marshall Goldsmith, certified coach, servant leader, podcaster, dad, Greg Brenner to the Intentional Encourager podcast. Greg, I've been looking forward to this for a good while. How are you today? I have too. And thank you so much for having me on the show. And you're doing great work. And I love your intentionality. So uh, you can be intentional every day too. So that's great. And, and you are. So thank you for having me. This is great. No, it's my pleasure. Greg, and I've asked people since we've recorded podcasts during this pandemic, how they're handling it. And everybody does things in, in different ways. Uh, like myself, you've launched a podcast through this thing. What what are you learning through this time of the pandemic that that you had either forgotten or that you it uh, is a, maybe a new revelation to you? You know, I I think there is there's so many lessons that are learned right now. Um, for me, it's the the reconnection with family, and not that you were unconnected. Uh, but when you're at home uh, 24-7 together, uh, you find ways to, when you're not running to the sports and you're not running to this or meetings and everything else like that, you're, you become more intentional on what you're doing at home. So just the cooking at night with uh, uh, the family and my son has taken, uh, he's, he's going to be a senior in, in high school. Uh, he's just taken a, a, just a, a loving to it and has just become really good at it. So those kind of lessons uh, been great. My daughter has been baking up a storm and things of that nature. But the other side of it is, is really just trying, the lesson is, and it's, I think it's who you are to your core and who I am at the core, uh, is just to look at things through, through uh, a different set of lens that's more positive and, and, and uh, uh, optimistic at the same time, realistic, as it's a difficult time and it's a real time and a heavy time, but people are, are begging for a different message of, of, some hope and some, uh, some positivity in their lives. You know, after we've gotten on recording this podcast, you and I can have a one-off. So, because my son was a senior in high school a couple of years ago. And so we can cry on each other's shoulders. I, I'll be here for you because <laughs> my you. wife and I walked that road with our son, who's now a sophomore at Marshall University. And All so right. I totally under. And your daughter is baking, so y you might have picked up the quarantine fifteen a little bit. I, I, you know, unfortunately, I was I was ahead of the game on that, and so I was able to <laughs> to adjust that about thirty five years ago. So I've been I've been well ahead. I was preparing for this day a long time ago. <laughs> That's awesome. You, you know, you talk about readjustment and you, you, you talk about um, things that we've all had to, to either adjust or readjust. And I, I've been off the road, full disclosure, I traveled in my job, but mm -hmm. we've been working from home now for the last five months. And so my family who was used to me being on the road 
two or three nights a week. I've been home every night for the last five months. When you talk about reconnecting with your family and things like that, what else besides the emotions that that provokes in you, what else does that stir within you in reconnecting with your family like that? Well, I think it, it, it brings you back to your center a little bit, you know, so if you're on the road all the time and you're doing your thing, you think it's just, even though you can be the best spouse and the best husband, the best parent in the world while you're in, in that role, there's no substitute from when you're there. (laughs) You know, there's no, I mean, this is just the, and, and the funny thing is we have figured a way to make it all happen um, without running a thousand miles a minute. So there is that, that addition through subtraction and, and it just has been a wonderful experience to be able to, to beyond the reconnection is to understand, you know, those priorities. And, and I think a lot of people are priority based type people, but you get, when you're in, when you're in that zone and you're out there and you're, you're pounding the pavement, you're doing what you do. Um, some things I, you know, taking for granted is, is, is one term that comes to mind. Uh, you never want to take for granted loved ones and things of that nature, because then it becomes a, a slippery slope. But I would say that reconnection becomes uh, so powerful. And it's been probably the, the highlight of this whole difficult situation has been that, that connection that was always strong. We always, yeah. you know, solid family unit, but it's just, it's that much better. And, and I tell you, once things get back to normal and they're gone and, you know, kids are back in school and my son gets off to college next year and my daughter, you know, rises into to high school this year. And I tell you what, it's a, I'm going to miss it. You know, so it's a time that to, to realize that it's a special time, even though it's a, a difficult time for, for so many people, uh, that it can be a special time, but you have to really, you have to seek that out. Otherwise you can get caught in the, in the feed of woe is me and, and woe is everything in the world's falling apart and everything else like that. And there's some truth to, some of that. Yeah. you know, depending on what you read and what you see and, and some of the difficulty that's going on, but we just choose to, to take a different view of it. No, I think that's great. And you talk about, you, you wrote a series and, and you have a series called Smack Dab in the Middle of My Life or Smack Dab in the Middle of Life. Mm-hmm. And, and this pandemic hit people smack dab in the middle of their lives. Yeah. Because now all of a sudden, people that were spending maybe 30 minutes to an hour commuting to work now basically put their clothes on and they, they had to find a spare bedroom or make a corner of their own bedroom for an office mm-hmm. because a pandemic hit them smack dab in the middle of life. Yeah. You talk about kids, you know, my, my son, uh, Marshall went to virtual classes and so smack dab in the middle mm-hmm. of his life mm-hmm. here, this thing hits. How do we, how do we retrain our mindset? What have you found Greg to retrain the mind? when events hit a smack dab in the middle of life? For me, if I look back to when this whole shutdown happened, you know, it, it's, it's one of these kind of out of body of experiences, right? When everything was like shut down and everybody, nobody knew what was going on. All of a sudden there's this contagion that's coming across the world and, and we shut down we stop all athletics. We stop the sports, the professionals, everything just like comes to a screeching halt. I'm not going to lie, you get this kind of wave that comes over you and it's like, you're looking outside, you're looking like, what, 
what's going on? Here? Yeah. You know, and Have we uh, hit a zombie it, apocalypse yet, yeah. you know, it's like, you know, and, and I remember that, that feeling of kind of, uh, overwhelming, but at the same time, just kind of like this out of body experience. Yeah. And so what it does, it kind of just retrains you to what it's forced us to do is just to be right. Mm -hmm. So I've been able to, to retrain and refocus myself just by giving myself time to be. And, and the shutdown has allowed us to do that, you know, so whether it's going for a walk, uh, whether it's, you know, reconnecting with family, like we've talked about, but I think that the retraining is, is to be able to just be, to be able to really think through what is going on. Uh, what do we need to do personally? So many people are worried about what everybody else is doing. What, do, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. You know, what am I doing that's helping the situation or hurting the situation, uh, things of that nature, and let me do my part. And so when you focus that way, and then once you've done that, then you can go ahead and put that oxygen mask on and, and help some other people. But if you're out there just kind of doing everything for everybody else and not taking care of your own business, um, it's, it's usually not going to be long lasting that it's going to be helping in, a, in a, any kind of meaningful way because you're not going to be taking care of yourself. No, that's so true. And I, I tell people, Greg, I say this, I say, listen, before you can intentionally encourage others, you've got to be encouraged yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's why I've started using the tagline when I comment on posts on LinkedIn, stay encouraged. Because again, if you stay encouraged yourself, then you're able to, when other people need that intentional encouragement, you have a reservoir within you that you can tap into and, and you can freely give of yourself. I love what you said there. Greg, take me into a little bit of your story. You've got such a unique story. And, and you know, obviously during this time, you've launched a podcast, as I mentioned, like I have. And, but that's not all a part of who you are. Take me as far back as you want to take me and the audience into your journey, how you got from point A to point B where we are today. Sure. So, you know, I've, uh, the funny thing is when people ask about people's lives and stuff like that, we're so similar in so many ways, you know, people have different journeys, different paths and stuff like that. But I, you know, I was born and raised in South Florida and, uh, you know, came from a middle middle class family who's, who showed up to work every day. And, and, uh, my mom was a, uh, was a homemaker. And, and to me, that was one of the most, uh, important and, demanding jobs that that -hmm. you can have when people you know at times will roll your eyes and just say oh you you don't work you know that that woman worked yeah (laughs) she raised she raised uh three kids and and a family of five and and dinner was always had the place was always in order and uh so I learned a lot from my parents growing up my dad uh was a dentist for for 50 years and uh uh, and he showed up every day. So my beginnings were, were really rooted in, in family and, um, you know, I would say spirituality in, in many ways. And, and then you did the normal thing. So, you know, the schooling, the college stuff, I, uh, uh, one thing, and I got into the restaurant business. I was in the restaurant business for many years, ran restaurants and operations, got into it on the human resources side for many years. Uh, then got into academia and the healthcare system here at the University of Miami, uh, where I've been for almost nine years or so. And, and on the side of that, up until 
I guess it's now my fourth year, I was uh, um, an NCAA uh, football official for, for college football for, for quite some time. And uh, I retired uh, now, I guess, my fourth year off the field at uh, kind of like the pinnacle of my career mm-hmm. and, um, and uh, enjoyed that life. And that was a special time. Let me and, jump in here for, for just a minute because you, you've really hit on something. And is at the time we're recording this podcast, last week, the, the Pac-12 and the Big Ten decided not to play football. Mm-hmm. And, of course, there have been repercussions and things like that. Mm-hmm. As an official, had you been working this year, how would you have prepared for this season? Because – as we record this podcast, the ACC is still going to play, uh, which your school, Miami, is a part of that. Um, the, the Big 12 is, a part, is, is going to play. The SEC is going to play. Marshall, the school that I went to as a part of Conference USA, they're mm-hmm. going to play, looking forward to playing. In fact, they've been through fall practice now, going on three weeks. How would you have prepared for this season, unlike previous seasons as an official? As an official, my preparation would have been the same. Uh, as a parent, as a spouse, as a coworker, it'd be a little different with the travel. Um, you know, and keeping when you you know keeping your family safe and healthy. Uh, we're connected with a large health system, so we know the. You know, we see that this virus is real. <laughs> it's a, it's not a uh, make believe thing. So my preparation would really be. Or my concern <clears throat> mainly would be keeping the family and friends and, yeah. and safe. And how do you do that when you're traveling and then, you know, spending, you know, time with, you know, 100 people on a field, uh, regardless well, if there's fans or not. Yeah. And just to, just for those that may not know, Greg, you probably, and correct me if I'm wrong, you, you would probably leave on Friday exactly. to get to yeah. the game site, probably have to fly somewhere mm-hmm. to a game site. Um, be there Saturday morning, obviously, no matter what time the game kicked off, you would probably yeah. get to the stadium about three hours before. Cause I have, I have a couple of friends that are, that are officials as well. Okay. And then Sunday morning, you're probably flying back home. That's it. You know, you know, the routine well. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a hopping on the plane. Uh, first thing, you know, first flight out on Friday morning, usually connection, depending on where you're going. Cause some of the towns we used to go to are smaller towns. And so, you're hopping a flight and then you're, you're getting there. You're, you know, many times you finish working for that day, your normal job until you, you call it quits around dinner, you go to dinner and then you, you have a couple hour meeting that night. And then uh, you have another meeting before the game on, on Saturday, do a post game after the game. And then you're on that first flight hopping back out uh, on Sunday. So yeah, that, that's pretty much the routine. You, you nailed that. <laughs> well, and, and I've got to ask you because it, again, my curiosity you know, is aroused here from that. Mm -hmm. Most guys that officiate love it and they do it for a long period of time until they, it gets to the point where getting their body like an athlete, Mm -hmm. getting their body ready to go for a season. Because if you're a football official, yeah, you're, you're one of seven, eight guys on a crew, but depending on where you are as a back judge, you may have to backpedal, Mm-hmm. To, to, to cover a pass play. Um, if you're an official, if you're the referee, you're in the middle of the field, so you've either got to go side to side where the play is or you're going to get mm-hmm. run over. Mm-hmm. 
what was the thought process for you in deciding to step away? Because most people, they have to step away from officiating or they have to step away from playing because of something physical. It's very Mm -hmm. rare that guys step aside on their own. Yeah. So it's really, to me, it was very simple. And there's two things when I first started and the person I, one of my mentors and close dear friends, uh, when we were coming up together, when we started with Pee Wee League and everything else like that, we, we always said, you know, we're going to do this at the highest levels that we can do it. Um, and we always said to each other, cause we were always around other people. And they said, you know, that person should have retired probably 10 years ago. Uh, we never wanted to be told that it was time to go. Mm-hmm. Cause usually what happens, it's, it's really, yeah, it can be somewhat of the physical piece, Ryan, but it also is really the the judgment piece and you start to slip a little bit and you're not making the same calls, quality calls and things of that nature. So we always said, I never want to be that person that was told it's time to go, hmm. you know? So, so that was always in my mind over the, the course of, uh, you know, a long career. And really the, the genesis for me was uh, both my parents passed away within eight months, eight months of each other. Hmm. And, um, it, you know, like this, like we spoke about earlier, the connection to what's really important and what's not important uh, became really, really important for me, even though they were, they were older, losing them and, and not really expecting to lose them um, uh, kind of out of the blue and one was more protracted and more, you know, more of an illness. Um, it, it just said, you know what, it's time. I had thought about it because my kids were getting older when you're, you know, you sacrifice things to be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just, I was sacrificing not getting to ball games, you know, when you're, when you have peewee games and all kinds of things, I was away on the weekend. So when we're most of the games is away. So either I'm getting a text during a meeting of, Hey, you know, Lucas just scored a three or Haley just had a kill on a, on a volleyball thing, or here's what we just did. And, you know, or, or we're FaceTiming it's not the same. And so I, I felt like this really big giant vacuum that hit me like a ton of bricks saying, I need to be home. And I had thought about it the year before anyway. And when my parents died that year, I was like, I'm, I'm done. And so I was actually probably at the, the height of my career. Um, you know, supervisor at the time was really asking me, can you stick around again? You know, please, you know, let's work it out. We'll, we'll modify your schedule a little bit. We want you on the field you know, things of that nature. And it just was time. And so sometimes in life, you just have this, this inner kind of, you know, deal that just says, Hey, it's time. And uh, for me, it was. And the funny thing was, is I always thought the officiating defined me for, for many years. I did look, I did it for 30 years, starting from start to finish. You're just shy of a year of that. Um, I worked the highest level at the collegiate level uh, for many years or, a ton of big games and things of that nature. And at the end of the day, I don't necessarily miss it. You know, I enjoy it. I loved it. It was what I did. I did it at a high level when I did it, but it didn't define me. My, my family was defining me. My mm-hmm. kids were defining me and how I showed up as a dad, as a spouse, those things were defining me. And so the gravitational pull was, was, was going that way as opposed to what I thought Mm-hmm. I was defined by, and um, you know, I haven't looked back and, and I love it. It's part of my history. Not, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I met some incredible people across this country that I would never have met if I didn't do it. Yeah. Uh, but that time ended. So I, I've moved on. I, I, 
I'm so torn right now because I want to go in a different direction, but I want to stay here for just a minute because there's a couple things, a couple of the questions that I had as you were talking about that and relating to that fact, I had a job that I covered six states that I loved, but my son was entering high school and was going to play high school basketball. And I didn't want to be on the road in Memphis, Tennessee on a Tuesday night and 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 not be in there. And I made the decision to to pivot and come off the road. And so I understand that well. I've got two questions around the officiating part because I'm fascinated by it. Okay. Greg, what would what were some of the greatest lessons that you learned either professionally or personally from officiating? And how does it change the way you watch football? Because I would have to think that from a fan's perspective, and I like to think along with the game, you know, if it's second and seven from, the, from, their, from, from a team's own 35, okay, what, what might be the play call here? Or, you know, if, if, you, if the team's been successful running the ball or, you know, maybe, hey, you know, the quarterback's hot and he's, he's thrown three straight completions. I'm sure watching the game for you is different. So what lessons did you learn from officiating and how do you watch the game having officiated it for over 30 years? So I'll start with that part first. You know, you watch the game in, in kind of sections, right? So you watch it in the area, you know, with eight officials on the field, you have a certain specific responsibility in the area that you watch. So my tendency is to watch, you know, where I used to officiate, which was as the umpire position was right in the offensive and defensive lines right there, right, right behind the linebackers. And so, you know, so I would have a tendency to watch that as, as the years have gone by now, you know, I try to watch it as a fan and it just doesn't work. So you're either watching it as the officials, you're, you're watching how the officials are, are working and things of that nature. You're watching the flow of the game. You're, you know, uh, you're watching some of the things that you would normally watch. So you definitely don't watch it as a, as a fan. That's for sure. The, the lessons that I learned from, from, officiating at a, at, a, at a high level for a long period of time is those things that that are just very common sense you know one is your preparation matters right so we would spend we would invest so much time I, I would probably invest anywhere from 30 to 40 hours beyond my normal job so you know take your normal job plus and add that to it of preparation time so when people think you just show up and there's, there's just, you just show up, you get off the airplane, you just show up to the game and you go officiate. It doesn't work that way. So you watch video at nauseam, you prepare yourself, um, you know, mentally, you know, visual, visualizations, things of that nature. But one of the biggest lessons that I learned as in one of my takeaways is really around communication and how to do that effectively at the highest level. And what happens is people take communication and they make it very general oh we got to communicate better but I was always under the impression in order to to be a, a very good official it was all about communication yes you needed to have good judgment yes you needed to be prepared but that just goes without saying right you have to work on on getting judgment and you get that by having experience so that was another lesson that I learned you have to have experience you have to have enough time on the grass to be able to make those decisions at the high level when you have 90,000 people in the stands and, and maybe a couple million people on TV where you got to step up and make the call. Uh, that takes preparation. You just don't step into that and like, Oh, I can do that. No, it takes years and years of preparation. The second part of that is the communication piece 
is how it gets back to your name of your, your podcast. How do you intentionally communicate with each other? Not only as a cruise officials, but with the players, with the coaches, with the fans, everything I did when I was around football was intentional. And I learned that from the best of the teams that were out there. If you ever get a chance to spend time around some of the highest level uh, teams and those coaches and those players, it's all about preparation and it's all about the little things. There is not, everybody has a practice schedule. Everybody has a field. Everybody has the same equipment. It's the preparation, the intentionality to detail that separates you from, from you know, good to freaking awesome, you know, and, yeah. uh, and they get after it. So being really intentional in communication became one of my biggest lessons. Well, and Greg, too, here's the thing, too. When, when, when you make a call, let, let's say, you're, let's say it's, it's a pass interference call and it's a critical situation. Maybe the team, uh, maybe the defensive team has a, a seven-point lead the offense is driving, and there's a pass interference call. You've got an irate defensive coach or defensive coaching staff and the head coach that are in your ear. And I'm sure one thing you had to learn how to do was diffuse tension quickly. When people are thinking about internal tensions, okay, and I'm, I want to I kind of tie it to what people are feeling today. Maybe mm -hmm. some people are feeling internal tensions. Maybe business is not going – the way that it should be going. Maybe a, a mandate from a governor of a state is like a pass interference call. Like, man, I was, all I was trying to do was complete a play here and keep myself alive. And now you've thrown this at me. How, how do you, what's your best piece of advice for those in, in, in keeping yourself intentionally controlled in the midst of chaotic situations, because you just hit the nail on the head. You've got 90,000 fans screaming at you. Uh, depending on which team you're rooting for, you probably got half their fan base mad at you yeah, on TV, yeah. throwing <laughs> stuff at the TV. The guys up in the radio booth are, are livid, you know, because, yeah, how can he make that call in a critical part of the game? Again, how do you keep yourself internally controlled when there's chaos around you? Yeah, it's, it was funny. There was that one commercial years ago where the official was getting yelled at by his wife. I don't know if you ever remember that. And <laughs> I do so, remember that. So, you know, when that came out, every single official's wife said, yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> so that's how we keep that internal calmness. However, uh, you know, I think the, for me, the reality was, and I learned this lesson a while ago, somebody, you know, mentorship becomes really important in when you're in officiating and I had a mentor tell me, he said, look, you know, these coaches, uh, live livelihood is on the line. Right. And so when you have the responsibility and look, an official, a bad call or a call that, that wasn't, you know, up to, to a par is not going to cost a, a coach their job. Now, if the coach wasn't winning and the coach was losing, that could be the impetus to mm -hmm. that, that really kind of ends their, their career. And that, and that career is a difficult one because you get fired at a blink of an eye. Yeah. So I always took it very serious that, look, this person's livelihood is counting on them doing their job. And many of them are doing their job. So I can tell you that from the years that I officiated that some, some of the coaches used it as a show. Right. And so some of it was 
if they didn't show some kind of emotion, even if they agreed with the call, they need to show their base that they're with their guys and they're there mm-hmm. with their, their, their alums and everything else that they need to kind of, you know, go ahead and, and show. What I also found was that the people that usually don't blow up and things of that nature, you probably need to listen to them. And because when they do blow up, you probably screwed up. And that happened time and time again, where, you know, if, if you have a pretty calm coach and they just go ballistic, um, you know, you just have to, you probably, you probably know you messed up. So how you handle that is just, you have an internal calmness and you, once you get over the part of that, it's not a personal attack on you. Now, when it goes personal, that's why you have a yellow flag and that's when you throw it. Um, but usually it's not about, it's not about me. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, it could be that they didn't like a call. They couldn't, maybe it's, it's, you know, yards come hard for people and that comes in life as well. Right. So when yeah. you set somebody back, uh, there's a penalty to that. So, so I would just say, look, understand that people are just trying to do the best they can do. They're trying to win at whatever they're trying to win at. And you might be viewed as the person that's standing in their way. Um, rarely do officials, you know, you know, engage back in some kind of banter. Sometimes they do, depending on the sport. But football officials tend not to get into heated conversations with, with coaches. Sometimes you do because you're human. Uh, but for the most part, you get intentional about letting them blow and then come back and have that discussion when they're calm. Because anger met with anger, especially nowadays, I have never seen, and that's another lesson from the field, I have never seen a conversation go well when anger has been met with anger. I've never wow. seen it happen. Oh, that's, that's a fantastic point because, again, the stakes are high for everybody right now, whether you're talking about college football or professional football, things like that. The stakes are high for everybody because people feel like it's we have to do what we have to do to survive because nobody mm-hmm. knows what tomorrow is going to bring. And we've mm-hmm. seen that play out day after day for the last five months or so. Greg, I, I want to go here for just a minute because um, I could talk football all day long. As yeah, I kind of like, like I, I'm, think, I'm thinking we've got a new po- podcast. I mean, I think the Brian and Greg uh, sports talk on uh, – on, on LinkedIn and or wherever we're going to share this, I think is uh, YouTube. I think we got something because you got the voice, you know, we got, I got a, a little bit of knowledge. You got a lot of bit of knowledge. And so I think, I think we're onto something here. Cause this is, this has been the fun. In, the intentionally official podcast. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So love yeah, it. we'll have to work on that one off. Cause, because again, there are so many, and somebody may be listening to this conversation going, Brian, I'm not the sports guys that you and Greg yeah. are. Uh, and, and that's okay. There are a lot of lessons that can be taken. And I love what you just said there, Greg. Anger met with anger in a conversation is never a good thing. I, I want to go here for just a minute in the, in the few minutes that we have left. Mm-hmm. What's the biggest obstacle in your life that you've had to overcome? Was it something related to officiating? Wherever you want to take it, I want to know about the biggest obstacle that you overcame and the lesson that you learned from it. Well, I think there's, there's been multiple as you live life and there's always some, but I would, I would probably direct one to years ago is when, uh, when I was in the restaurant business, uh, I was in, I bought my own restaurant and, uh, uh, went through a series of, uh, you know, battles with, uh, 
with uh, cash flow after 9-11. And then I used to do a lot of catering to airports and that all went away. And so it was very much similar to what was going on uh, today with restaurants and just losing a, a big share of them and them really struggling and going out of business. You know, I, I did that years ago and uh, it, was a, uh, it was a hard lesson. You know, it was the first business I had gotten into and in, in all intensive purposes, it, I failed. You know, mm-hmm. and so the lesson that I learned, it took me a long time, is I wasn't able to let go of that failure, right? And I hung on to that for not one year, two year, three years. Yeah. And, and it stuck with me because I had to look in, in, in a pair of, you know, all 40 sets of eyes that were looking back at me that day. I'll never forget it like it was yesterday. And this has been this has been over 20 years already or whatever it's been pretty damn close to it. And uh, I remember that day where I had to stand up in front of, you know, those people and say that I had to stop what we're doing and their livelihood was taken away. So it's really ties to that coaching thing. So it's, it's ingrained to me that you do whatever you can do to, to take care of the people around you. And when you don't do that or you failed on that part, which is the way I kind of characterized it, um, it, it, it stings. And so my lesson out of that was you need to let go of that sooner. I held that for way too long. Um, and it wasn't, a, uh, it wasn't a badge of honor. I mean, it took, you talk about an ego blow and talk about, you know, things that you just, and I think that's where my positive message comes from. Um, and the same thing as yours is, is that, you know, people need that little bit of light. They need that little bit of hope and, and, and to ignite their, their purposeness back, you know. And I didn't have that during that time. I got, you know, as down as you can get. And, and then on top of when you have financial issues, it's so difficult. It's not one of those things where you say, hey, cheer up, you know. No, because you're just so, you, you, you have to declare bankruptcy. You're just, everything that you think you're connected to is gone you have a, you have a young family, you have, you know, my son was just two years old and it's like, I failed here, you know, and the lesson is going to the next thing, you know, those eight, nine years and the fail, you know, on the, on the stuff will come off the books and, and start to get back in it, you know, hop back on that horse quicker than, than letting it eat at you. So. I know that world well. I spent 15 years in the food service distribution world, and I watched Mm -hmm. people go through that same thing. I watched Mm -hmm. uh, a customer of mine in in a night. They had some faulty equipment, and their restaurant burned to the ground. Mm -hmm. And so to that point, everything that they had worked for was gone. I wondered what happened to your hair. And now I know it was, it it's was exactly, nine it was, years in the restaurant business. It, That's it, it, it. I had, I had a nice thick head of hair and 15 years in the restaurant business yeah. in, in the distribution it, side kind of did that to me. I often say that, that I had, I did have a full set. Yeah. <laughs> you get into some cash flow issues, that hair flies off. Well, I was on the other side of it going, I need to check. Yeah, right, exactly. I, need to uh, check. I know a bunch of people I need to check. So yeah, oh, exactly. Hey, Greg, last thing, and, and again, you've been so gracious with your time this morning. Thank you so much. And full disclosure, we've worked through a couple technical issues that we've gotten resolved. But leave the folks with your biggest piece of intentional encouragement. So for me, Brian, it's just, you know, the world is not a perfect place. We know this. We know that there is 
there are some negative forces, whether it's the pandemic, whether it's the the racial relations that are just, you know, just so inflamed right now, whether it's the political environment that sucks you into the abyss, regardless of which way you, you fly on that. So through all those things, find ways to be, you know, find ways to, to see those silver linings in this. You know, everything we spoke about today were, were all kind of those pieces that we talked about of just being to get in your mind. If I didn't take a moment to step back and saying, you know what, when we're sitting in this kitchen and my son's cooking and my, my daughter's cracking up and, 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 you know, and my wife's, you know, we're just sitting there having a good time at this island uh, that we're sitting at in the kitchen. You know, if I didn't step back and realize that this is a very special moment, I would have missed it. Yeah. You know, and so take the time, take the breath with all, shut off some of the, the negative influences that you have around you uh, if you can. And a lot of it you can. It's the ones that, that become problematic is when, you, when you're in a negative situation at home and it's harder to shut that off. But you can still shut it off and be free in your mind and your thoughts. So as you start to think through of, all right, how can I change this conversation? How can I encourage myself, my family, the people around me at a different level? Go do it. You know, and if somebody ridicules it, who cares? They don't know you. They're, they're dealing with their own drama. You know, so just uh, take the lead and, and, and just kind of love what's going on around you, uh, even in the difficulty. Man, Greg, this has been such a great conversation. Thank you so much for it. Go to LinkedIn and find him, Greg Brenner, on LinkedIn. And again, his podcast is the Everyday People podcast. Everyday People by the HR Dad. Go check it out uh, wherever you find podcasts. Greg, I have enjoyed this, man. This has been such a blast. Thank you for joining me today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Thank you so much. You're doing a fantastic job. And I just love the vibe you're giving out there. Um, and, and just keep on encouraging and, and being intentional about it. Uh, I know I'm, I'm paying attention to it. So you should too. So thank Man, you so much for having me on. Appreciate I'm humbled it. by that. Thank you so much, Greg. And thank you for joining us today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Meads. And the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. And until next time, remember, everyone, everywhere, at any time, and any place can be an intentional.